0: Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 22, and uh, we'll read down through verse 13 of chapter uh, 6. It's on page 48. If you'd like to use uh, a Bible from the church, there should be one in front of you in that rack. Chapter 5, verse 22, this is God's words for us today, and here's what God says. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel "...whom Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let my people, the people of Israel, go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, The people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen uh, to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. For there is no word like your word. And we thank you, Father, that we would have your word in front of us this morning to look at and to think about and to consider. For there is no word like your word. Help us now, Father. Show us wonderful things. Change us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, Moses has gone to Pharaoh, and he has announced to Pharaoh what the Lord had told him to announce. And uh, it's not gone well. In fact, the, the, the burden of, of slavery has only increased upon the people of Israel. And the people of Israel have now lashed out at Moses and Aaron and have, have rendered, if you would, a curse or a judgment upon them. And now Moses turns to the Lord. Two things I want us to look at in this conversation that Moses and the Lord are having with each other. First, I, I want to note something of the importance of returning to the Lord. Then I want to note something of the importance of reassurance from the Lord. The first point, the importance of returning to the Lord, is really located in the, those last couple of verses of chapter 5. Two observations I want to make about what Moses is doing by turning or returning to the Lord. I, there's something, I think, that is commended about his returning to the Lord. And and then there's something of, if you would, I want to note a word of concern about his turning to the Lord. Moses is stunned. He is perplexed. He is upset. He is hurt by the immediate preceding unfolding events. He and Aaron have gone to Pharaoh... They have announced that Pharaoh should let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh has refused that request. And in fact, inflicted more burden and more work upon the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people then lash out at Moses and Aaron. Where would you be at at this moment? Put yourself in Moses and Aaron's shoes for a moment, if you would, or sandals, I suspect. Uh, Moses and Aaron are doing exactly what the Lord had wanted them to do. And things are falling apart. Sometimes you and I are not doing what we should be doing and the bottom drops out but sometimes you and i are doing exactly what we ought to be doing and the bottom still drops out if if you would it is though moses is experiencing something of a spiritual vertigo here he is totally disoriented his mind and heart are swirling around he is in complete Confusion, as you and I would be doing, perhaps. Moses is trying to make sense of the things uh, that, on that day, don't make a lick of sense to him at all. Have you been there? He begins to make statements that on the one hand are inaccurate and yet on the other hand simply reflect his feeble understanding look at what he says once again verse 22 of chapter 5 oh lord why have you done this evil to the people why did you ever send me on the one hand the Moses is is addressing what he feels, he senses, what he believes is a a failure um, to do the the right thing. That that in a sense, the Lord is doing something wrong. Why have you done this evil to the people? Why did you send me to be a part of this evil that is being done to your people? On the other hand, he almost. Adds to that, not only accusing the Lord of doing wrong, but but accusing the Lord of failing to do what is right. um, For since I came, to verse 23, to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is accurately describing how he sees things. Now, we could push on that and say, well, you and I both know that Moses is a little bit out of order here, and he's wrong about this. But, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about this is where he is at. This is what makes sense to him. This is him trying to grasp and make sense of what just Happen. The Lord sent me to do this glorious thing of being the instrument to let the people of Israel go. And I have just been a part of a process that has inflicted more harm upon the people of Israel. Now, we could argue the Lord has, has not misled Moses one bit. We could look back at chapter 3. Uh, as Moses is being given his instructions, and and uh, th- there was uh, uh, that was very sense of realism being described here in verse three, verse uh, nineteen, for instance. But 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 I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. I e. what that means is this is not going to unfold quickly or easily, perhaps. Or in verse twenty one of chapter 4 where the lord says to uh, Moses and the lord uh, said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that i've put in your power but i will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go this is not going to be a cinch this is not going to be, you kind of roll, you kind of stroll in there go, what's up? We're leaving. You know, and, and, it, and it just kind of quickly unfolds, oh, okay, okay, okay. No, this is going to be hard. The Lord has not misrepresented himself to Moses. And yet, Moses' understanding and, if you would, expectations have now been flattened. Moses, we sometimes wonder if God knows what he's doing. And think about it from this angle. It is, it, it is the kindness of the Lord that he would record these sort of experiences for us. So that when you and I wonder... When it's not making sense, when it's not adding up, does the Lord know what he's doing? That, that we're not the oddity, we're not the rare exception of the human being that has those thoughts, that experiences those struggles, those The Lord in His kindness builds into His Word how you and I can understand our experience and how we can interpret and make sense of our experience, particularly when our experience is Godward, and that is we don't understand what He's doing. In fact, we're pretty sure that He's misled us and gotten it wrong, and He doesn't have a lick of sense as to what He's doing. The Lord puts that language in His Scripture to help us to know this is just part of our experience in life life, our feeble understandings to try to make sense out of the craziness of life. Moses, there, there is at least a, a tinge of, of complaint here in this language, and that's a concern. It's a concern how you and I, are often tempted to raise a complaint against the Lord. And and yet and yet as sure as we would maybe push on and pick on Moses for a moment about issuing a complaint to the Lord I I I I think the the commendable component of this observation of this understanding is that there is complaint, but but perhaps it's much more confusion than complaint. And it's in this confusion that I would suggest to you that we see something that is to be commended. And that is just quite simply, where does Moses turn in his confusion? I mean what we 've seen in the previous chapter is when the Hebrew foremen uh, were put under the pressure uh, when the quotas were not making the the, the the limit for for those days, in other words, they had to make the brick and find their own straw and and therefore their numbers were low that uh, we're told that the Hebrew foremen were brought in and beaten and and, and What's interesting is, what did the Hebrew foreman do with that? Well, they turned, all right. But they turned to Pharaoh and appealed to him. And then they turned against Moses and Aaron and cursed them. Which I totally get. If someone takes you out and beats you you're you're probably not going to be thinking real clearly at that moment you're going to be struggling you're going to be thinking I've, i i've just been wronged and, uh, and 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 where do i go for help and and their thought was i know i'll appeal to pharaoh isn't that on the one hand, isn't that crazy the very one who is holding them in bondage is the very one that they are appealing to he's no good And then they lash out at Moses and Aaron, the very human instruments that will ultimately be used by the Lord to bring their deliverance. But they ain't seeing that on this day. No. Moses is stunned and perplexed and upset and hurt. And yet what we see that I think the scripture holds out to us and says, you see this? Do likewise. Moses turns to the Lord. He appeals to the Lord. And, and really, um, I would suggest to you that the brunt of his appeal is really an act of intercession. He appeals to the Lord on behalf of the Israelites. Again, oh Lord, what have... what. What have you done? Um, why have you done evil to this people? That was his concern. Is look, look at what is happening to this people? Why? Why did you ever send me? In other words, am I a part of this evil that's being done to this people? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, the, really the brunt of his complaint, the, the, the orientation of his confusion, is the fallout, certainly I think it's landed on him, and, but the fallout as to how this has affected the people of Israel. We're seeing an early glimpse of something that Moses will will do throughout the next 40 years of his ministry to the Israelites. And that is, he will be a faithful intercessor. He will turn again and again and again and again to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. And so he turns to the Lord. What do you and I do when we are stunned ...and perplexed and upset and hurt. We're going to turn somewhere. We're going to to figure out a course of action... ...that makes sense to us... ...as to how to alleviate our experience... ...of being stunned and perplexed and upset and hurt. We're going to figure out, this is what I need... I need need something to escape, someplace to escape to. I I, I need something to numb me of the acute pain and discomfort that I'm experiencing right now. We will figure out a course of action. Even if that course of action is the, the language of Job's wife, curse God and die. Even that may sound like appealing recommendation. But Moses turns, returns to the Lord. Again, in the kindness of the Scriptures, and just in case we happen to gloss over this reading and didn't get the point of it, Uh, That's okay. There are ample other examples in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are full of the Lord's confused, stunned, upset, perplexed, hurt people who turned to Him in their confusion. Abraham turned to the Lord in his confusion. David turned to the Lord in his confusion. Jeremiah and a host of other prophets turned to the Lord amidst their confusion. John the Baptist, amid his confusion, turns to the Lord. And Jesus Christ himself hanging on the cross in a moment that is a bit perplexing and stunning and confusing confusing when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a pattern for us. It's a pattern that's commended in Scripture. And that is when you and I are stunned and perplexed and upset and hurt, we have someone to turn to. And we have someone who has prescribed to us by ample commendation that this is how you're to do it. This is who you are to turn to. In fact, the great mystery of it is the very one who may appear to be the, the source of being stunned and perplexed and upset and hurt is the very one that we are to turn to, to offer to him, to bring to him our, that which stuns us and perplexes us and upsets us and hurts us second point I want to make, not only at the importance of returning to the Lord, but then what unfolds in the next, and we'll look primarily just at the next uh, eight verses, verses one through eight, the importance of reassurance from the Lord. It's two observations I want to kind of move our way through as we see these words. The Lord speaks to Moses. And the Lord, in speaking to Moses, restates who he is. And the Lord remembers the covenant that he has made. That's huge. It begins with verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now, not not before now. You, 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 you You haven't seen what I'm going to do yet. But now you're going to see it. This is going right according to plan. in essence, what the Lord is saying to Moses is, Watch this. look at this one but really perhaps even more importantly what the lord is saying when he says now you will see is he's telling moses the the answer to moses being stunned and perplexed and upset and hurt the answer is found in the simple notion of what the Lord is saying to Moses is, Moses, keep your eyes on me. Watch me. Now watch me. Now look at me. Do this. When we are stunned, when we are perplexed, when we are upset, when we are hurt, make note of where your eyes are are landing make note of who or what you are focused upon when you are hurt when you are upset when you are perplexed when you are stunned may you hear the voice of the lord From his word, say to you, watch this. Look here. Keep your eyes on me. The Lord doesn't rebuke Moses. Moses has issued, a, you could argue, a serious attack. Why have you done this evil to this people? You haven't delivered them at all. The Lord did not rebuke Moses for that. Neither, however, does he agree with Moses. He doesn't just meet up with Moses, and the two of them just kind of empathize over the misery of the situation. No, he reassures Moses. He reassures Moses of two things. He restates what he's already told Moses, and that is who he is. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. Which again dovetails with what we read while well ago in four twenty one, when, when, do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, um, but I will harden his heart, and he will not let. the people go. Or in 319, but know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Really what the Lord is saying, now is the time of my mighty hand. With a strong hand, he will let the people go. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And guess what? I am the strong hand. Watch this. In essence, he is reminding Pharaoh that he is the, reminding Moses that he is the sovereign Lord. The Lord is not being negligent. He's not playing games. The Lord is doing what he has planned to do all along. That which he deems wise and holy. That is what the Lord is doing. Uh, The Lord's agenda has been very clear up to this point in the book of Exodus, and it will continue to be made clear as we persevere through our study in the book of Exodus. And that is the Lord is going to do uh, in his work in Pharaoh, his work in Israel, he's going to do what he is going to do so that Pharaoh might know that the Lord is God, so that Moses might know that the Lord is God, so that Israel might know that the Lord is God. So that the entire world might know that the Lord is God. And he has the wisdom. He has the timing. He has the strength. He has the authority. He has the power to do it. And he says, I'm now going to do it. And really the next Three chapters in a very emphatic way, but even beyond that, uh, winding up with Pharaoh and the Israelites being buried in the Red Sea, all of that is to display the Lord's agenda so that Pharaoh, Moses, the Israelites, and all the world would know that the Lord is God. Does that seem pertinent or relevant to you? I mean, there's, there's a lot of problems floating around the world. There's a lot of problems swirling around in your life and in my life. There's a, there's a lot of craziness that goes on in the world. And it's just like, what is a really practical solution uh, to help me to sort out and to, and to make sense out of what is going on? And uh, yeah, what, A real practical solution is that uh, your and my intimate knowledge and relationship with God is the solution. So the Lord unpacks an answer here in which He says four times in these verses. Uh, he does it at the start in verse 2. He does it in verse 6. He does it in verse 7. He does it in verse 8. So almost like a book ends, the, the start and the finish, and, and, and twice in between revolves around the statement that He gave to Moses when Moses asked, uh, What is your name? Who should I say is sending you? And so he begins in verse 2 the Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I'm Yahweh. And then he says uh, in in verse 8, the very tail end of verse 8, look at the very end there, I am the Lord. And then he says in verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And then he says in verse 7, and I will take you to my people and you will be my God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. To to, To the degree that we know and realize and understand and grasp who God is, is The degree to which you and I can begin to make sense out of that which perplexes us and stuns us and upsets us and hurts us. To the degree that you and I know who the Lord God is. To the degree that we walk with him and then live in relationship with him is the degree to which all of life begins to fit together and make sense. Four times. I am the Lord. Why? Why does the Lord tell us that? So that you and I on this day might be inclined to see the incredible benefits of seeking to know this God who is Lord. You, you are all going to see. In other words, so keep your eyes upon me. You are all going to understand, so keep your eyes upon me. You are all going to grasp, so keep your eyes upon me. Something about me. Notice something interesting he says in verse 3. I want to try to take a stab at cleaning this up before I move on. He says in verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob... As God Almighty, but by my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I don't think what that means is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know the name Yahweh. What I would suggest to you is that they did not grasp the full implication of the fulfillment of the promises that are connected with who Yahweh is. In other words, what, what Israel is now going to see is not something completely new or foreign to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what Israel is now going to see is something carried to its ultimate completion and culmination that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never saw carried out to its ultimate culmination. And I think that's found, because this is the first time this is mentioned in the Bible, I think that's found in verse 6, when he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you uh, uh, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. For the very first time in history, what's been noted as a promise, what's been implied in in references and suggestions is now going to go uh, to implementation and to realization. That they are going to be able to know something about Yahweh that's never been experienced before. And that is this Yahweh, this one true God, is the God who steps in and redeems his people. And they're going to see that redemption truly realized when they see the blood of the Lamb in a few chapters painted on the doorposts of their homes. And they see the angel of death passing over those homes. Then they will begin to unpack something of the realization of the God who made us. The one true God is the one God who redeems us. So he says something about who God is. He says something about the covenant that God remembers in verses 5 and 6. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of my people of Israel, whom uh, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And then in verses 6, 7, and 8, the one who says, I am, now says seven times, I will. The I am is about to will. Look at verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will bring you out out from under the burden of the Egyptians. There's the first one. I will bring you... Uh, out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. That's number two. And I will redeem you. That's number three. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse seven is, is number four. I will take you to be my people. Uh, uh, number five. I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will, verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. What is the Lord doing here? He not only reminds Moses of who he is, but he's also reminding Moses of his plans and his promises. In the midst of all of these I am's, in the midst of all of these I will's, the Lord reveals his redemptive plans. And I'll just close with this, because as we fast forward to the life of Christ, what what Israel went through during Passover was but a foretaste, a preview of coming glorious attractions in which in, in the Passover, it was the, literally the blood of a lamb that was painted on the doorposts of those homes, in which the Angel of death passed over those homes. But when Jesus gets here, John the Baptist will say, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins." Of the world. You see, it's not merely the blood of goats and bulls and lambs that, that atones for us and pardons us. It, it is the very precious blood of the Son of God. 1 Peter tells us this um, but, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish, we were purchased, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, speaking of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And I'll close with this. When Christ redeems a people, he redeems us from something, just like the Lord did in Moses and Israel's lives. He's going to redeem them from their Egyptian slavery and bondage and burden. But he also redeems them unto something. He redeems them unto life in the promised land as his people, with him as their God. The Lord does the same sort of dynamic in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Any who turn to Christ even this morning will be rescued from our bondage to sin, from our condemnation from sin. But all who turn to Christ this morning, all who continue looking to Christ on this day are not only redeemed from something, we are redeemed unto something. We are adopted as children of God and we are adopted into his family and indwelt by the spirit that we might walk in newness of life. We are now a free people free to belong to the Lord, free to now honor and love and worship our Lord. This is what happens to any and all who experience the redeeming work of Jesus. So turn to Christ. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word teaches us about us and our troubles, our confusions, our hurts. Thank you that you give us A way, a way to come to you, to return to you, to turn to you. And thank you, Father, that you open our eyes and that you show us wonderful things about who you are and what you are up to. Father, give contentment to our hearts, give peace to our hearts, give strength and hope and joy and all things needed to our hearts. For you alone can do such. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.